0: We are in our fifth week of the series, Here Be Dragons, and we're talking about how to navigate life's uncertainties. And uh, as you'll remember, these ancient map makers, they would put dragons on the map to indicate the unexplored territories. It's been one of those series, I think, that has connected with our lives and, um, and God's used to speak to us by using these Old Testament people, these stories. And we've been learning principles and truths that speak to our lives through the power of Jesus. And last week, was incredible. Like it was. I love baptism Sunday, but there's something about right where we get to celebrate that across all of our campuses. And I want to say I'm so proud of those of you who who like Joshua took that that next step of faith. And I was um, I was blown away. And I want to encourage you to, to to jump in. If you took that step of baptism, to jump into post baptism, the mentorship, and uh, and keep taking the steps and growing in your faith. And Baptism Sunday in this series reminds me of one of C.S. Lewis's books. Uh, Lewis was one of the greatest Christian thinkers over the past hundred years. And most people know him for the book Mere Christianity. If you've never read that, highly recommend it. But he's also known for writing a series of children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's one of those books called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in the book he tells the story of this boy named Eustace. Now. Eustace is a boy who is arrogant and kind of selfish and unfriendly and pretty much disliked by everyone around him. And he and his friends are on a ship and it runs aground on an island. And Eustace kind of wanders off and loses his way and he ends up in a cave. And in that cave, he finds a dragon's hoard of treasure. Now Eustace is a greedy kid and he realizes that he could be as rich as the, as the king of Narnia if he just keep that treasure for himself. And uh, and Lewis writes that sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. He is not who he used to be or who he wants to be or who he was created to be. His friends are terrified and they leave him. And he walks alone in the forest, alienated, confused, discouraged, defeated. And this is when he meets Aslan. If you know the books, you know that Aslan is a Christ-like figure in the story. And Aslan looks Eustace in the eyes and he invites him, he calls him, he says, come close. And Aslan is standing by a well of clear water and he tells Eustace to to take off his scales. And so Eustace remembers, you know what? Reptiles can 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 shed their skin. And so he, he tries to take off a layer and underneath it, there's another layer and underneath it, there's another layer and it's exhausting and it's impossible. And that's when Aslan says, you'll have to let me do it. And willingly, like Eustace allows Aslan to shed his scales. And he reaches in and he pulls out the body of a tiny little boy that's covered in filth. And he takes his body and he places it in the clear well. And Eustace comes up out of the well. And he's breathing. He's alive. He's no longer a dragon. He's a boy, he's been washed, he's been clean, he's been changed, he's been transformed, he's been made whole. And Edmund, his friend says to him, he says, "Um, you've been undragoned. And what a beautiful phrase, what a beautiful picture of redemption. And, And maybe this is not a children's story after all. Maybe it's all of our stories, or there's the possibility that it could be all of our stories because it's through being undragoned that we experience healing and transformation and the work of God in our lives. And Jesus is the only one who can undragon people, who can set them free from the pain of their past and of greed and selfishness and shame and regret and restore me and restore you, restore us to who we were created to be. And we've been talking about the dragons out there, but what about the dragons in here? What about dealing with these things in our own lives? And this is where today's message comes in. You know, last year, my friend, Steve Carter, he came and he spoke to our staff on staff retreat. And Steve is a pastor and an author. And he wrote a book called The Thing Beneath Thing. It's talking about dealing with the dragons in here. It's an Old Testament story. It comes from the book of Esther. And and I believe that today that God wants to use this story, this Old Testament story to bring new truth and new freedom to your heart that you would be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. I believe God has a word for you today. So I'm gonna ask you Crosspoint across all of our campuses that we would give a warm welcome to Pastor Steve as he comes up to teach.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Crosspoint. It's such an honor to be here and for all of my friends who are watching in Bellevue and Dixon and Franklin and Hendersonville, Obviously here in Nashville and Mount Juliet, welcome. And also to those that are watching, God Behind Bars, um, it means the world that you are tuning in. And I'm praying that this message would just be a word for you today. I love this church. I love what God is doing here. You have an amazing pastor and team. They are as prayerful of a community that I've ever been a part of or seen up close, um, and um, I just absolutely love what God is doing, and it's an honor to be here. Um, but I, I come with a simple question: um, Do you ever just wonder why people do what they do? I mean, like, why, why did she tweet that? Why did why did they post that on Facebook? Or if you want to know where real crazy lives, um, the next door app. You know, like, why, why, why did they just post that? They're literally, like, this is where I live, this is my neighborhood, and two doors down, I can't stand that person. Like, do you ever just wonder, like, what were they thinking? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe the real question is, do you ever wonder why you do what you do? Do you ever just have those moments that you're like, why did I say that? Why did I return to that? Why did I feel like I needed to buy that? Why didn't I I go back into that relationship? Do you ever just have those moments where you're like, what was I thinking? And if you've ever experienced that, I just want you to know you're in good company. Because the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he struggled with this. He says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if you're like me, you can totally relate to that. But here's the only problem. If you do something dumb, you can't just go to your wife and be like, Hey, babe, to quote the Apostle Paul, (laughs) I do not understand what I do. You know what she's going to say? Figure it out. (laughs) After you make a terrible decision, you can't go on Twitter and be like, Sorry, y'all, I do not understand what I do. And I think really this is what this entire series has been leading up to. It's trying to help us understand there are dragons outside of us, but if we're really, really honest, we all have some dragons within us. And until we can actually have the courage, the space to lean in, we'll continue to make decisions that will baffle us. And today, I want to look at a, an Old Testament passage. you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Esther chapter 3, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're not going to start in verse 1. We're actually going to start the last sentence of chapter 3, and we're going to work our way backwards, because I want you to understand what's happening here. It says this, verse 15, the king—this is King Xerxes—Haman, his right-hand man, sat down to drink, but the city of Susa— was bewildered. So you have the king, at the end of the day, with his right-hand man, they're sitting down for a drink while the entire town and city is bewildered. The meaning for that word bewildered in Hebrew means simply this. They had such utter confusion by the choices that had just been made. You ever come home from work bewildered by what your boss did? (laughs) Have you ever—you ever ever come home just, like, bewildered by what a family member said or didn't say? You ever—you ever just find yourself just bewildered? And and truth be told, I've had this moment. A number of years ago, I was driving home. I was leaving my grandparents' house. We lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan at that time, and there was just snow flurries that were beginning to fall leaving my grandparents' house and my little Honda Civic, my, my wife's in the front seat, my nine-month-old at the time's in the back seat, and we're just driving and we're talking and processing this time with my grandma. When all of a sudden, something hits my windshield, and, and I keep driving maybe a tenth, a quarter of a mile, when it dawns on me, that wasn't just some snow flurries, like someone threw something at me. And so what do I do? I turn my Honda Civic around, and my wife's like, uh, babe, what are you doing? And I'm like, someone threw something at us. And she's like, it's okay. Let's just go home. I'm like, no, no, no. I can see them. So I pull the car over. I leave my nine-month-old and wife on the side of the road in a snowstorm, and I'm like, I'm going to find them. And so I run across four lanes of traffic, there's this little embankment, I think I can jump it, I realize midway I can't, and I land up to my waist in soaking, freezing water, and now I'm really mad. And I'm like, I see you! I'm going to find you!" My voice getting higher and higher, and I get out of that puddle, and I take off running through this field of snow. And I am running as fast as I can, and then they run into, like, a suburban neighborhood. And so I follow them into the suburban neighborhood, and, and I run to the middle of the street, and because I watch CSI, I know what to do. I close my eyes and I just listen. I just try to listen. And then, all of a sudden, three doors down—terrible band—but three doors down, a garage closes, and all of a sudden, I, like, run there, and I, I knock on the door, and I'm out of breath, soaking wet pants. I knock on the door, and all of a sudden, like, the door opens. It's an old man. And I'm like, hey, did someone just run through your garage? He's like, yeah, my grandson and his friend. I'm like, oh, yeah. Can I talk to him? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Door closes. At this moment, the Spirit of the Lord whispers to me, what are you doing? (laughs) And I'm in this moment, at this time, a middle school pastor, and I'm like, they threw something at my car. And he's like, what's really going on? And in this moment, I'm like, am I just about to yell at this person? Like, what what really am I going to do? And so, with soaking wet pants. Out of breath, the door opens, and there's a seventh grader and his friend, and they are just shaking, and I just look at them and go, hey, guys, nice shot, and I walk away, (laughs) and I I walk back to the car. My bewildered wife was like, what are you thinking? I was like, I I don't know, and then she says, what's really going on? On my way to my grandparents' house, uh, the people who were going to buy our house in Grand Rapids had backed out. We were moving the next week to Southern California to pastor a church, and my dad had been diagnosed with leukemia. I had felt so bad. He was at the table at my grandparents' house. We're driving away, Uh, and I I knew this is where we needed to go, but I just— I just felt so much stress and so much fear and so much worry and so much anxiety, and I didn't know how to talk about it. And then two seventh graders gave me a gift of ice in the windshield, and it made me realize, oh my goodness, there's so much more going on. What's amazing is you make choices every day, and people are often bewildered by your choices. And I think oftentimes we don't know how to actually sit in the reality of, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I behave in that way? I'm trying to live for Christ, but why do I keep returning to this old pattern of sin? Why? 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 And here's the truth. The entire city of Susa in Esther chapter 3, they're wondering the same question. What's going on? What's happening? Why is the city so bewildered? Go with me to verse 13. It says this. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy and kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Why were the city of Susa bewildered? Because a genocide had been decreed. And I don't know if you've ever seen a genocide up close. A couple years after it took place in Rwanda, I had the privilege to go. And I'll never forget walking in the capital city of Kigali and just seeing people who were missing limbs. The UN says that in 100 days, somewhere between 800,000 and a million people lost their life. Brother killing brother. And here's someone in the Hebrew Scriptures that says, man, we have to destroy, kill, and annihilate all of these people. Like how does somebody actually pull that off? Well, this right-hand man, Haman, he goes to the king, verse 8, and says this, and Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury." So here's Haman saying, I will bankroll this because, King, there is a group of people who are different, who have separated themselves. Their customs are not like us, and you know what? It is actually good for us to not tolerate them. Well, King Xerxes, his grandfather was known as the man as Cyrus the Great, one of the greatest kings that has ever lived. And Cyrus actually was the Persian king who freed the Jews and bankrolled the Jews to go back and build the temple. And now, someone's saying, hey, you don't have to tolerate them. You should destroy and kill and annihilate, and I will even pay for it. The king responds, he says, keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. I'm curious why. Why would Haman want to do this? I I live in Chicago. I grew up in Southern California. I I honestly, when I moved to Chicago, I was so excited. In the home of Michael Jordan, uh, the Bears who can't seem to win, I, I I was so excited about the Cubs. I was so excited about this city, but nobody told me about one thing. That is everywhere in the city of Chicago, and that is potholes. And if you've driven on the 440, you know what I'm talking about. They are everywhere. And, and the truth is, you will hit one of these craters, and it will do profound damage to your car. Oh, one day, I was listening to sports talk radio, driving downtown Chicago, and I, I hit a pothole. And all of a sudden, I knew right away I had a flat. I pulled the car over, and I remembered, I remembered that the city of Chicago has a number, three one one you can report a pothole, and if that pothole has been reported and the city of Chicago has not fixed it in due time, they will pay for the damages to your vehicle. If you want to know why the city of Chicago is going bankrupt, that's another sermon, but that might be one of the reasons. <laughs> so I, I start praying, I dial 311, and all of a sudden I report this pothole, and the lady says, I'm so sorry, Steve. You're the first one. I'm like, ah, oh, man. But then it hits me. You got your own number. I mean, 911 calling for a first responder, 411 for information, 311 to report a pothole. I'm like, how many potholes do you all fill in to get your own three digit number? And she says, well, the city, the Chicago Tribune just did a story on us. I'm like, whoa. She goes, do you want to guess how many potholes we filled in from January 1, 2018 to March 21st, 2018? I'm like, sure, I'll play. I'm like, let's say 10,000, she's like, a little bit more. I'm like, 15,000, she's like, a little bit more. I'm like, maybe 20,000, she's like, a little bit more. I'm like, ma'am, you sound like my dad. You're asking me a question that you already know the answer to, just tell me the answer. She goes, one more guess, I'm like, I don't know, 30,000. She's like, no, 108,000. 108,000, she's like, if you go to our website, and she said this with all pride, if you go to our website, we have a pothole tracker where we literally show our work, and this is, this is what happens. The city of Chicago, they have these potholes, and you know how a pothole is. Water freezes. It expands. The asphalt can't deal with the expansion. It's not like our sweatpants, and so a crater is created. City of Chicago rolls up. They see it. They add some asphalt. They click the, the, the pothole tracker, and there's 107,999 to go. And they go all throughout the city, every single day, working on these. But sometimes, they come up to a pothole, and they look at it, and they go, oh, This wasn't caused by inclement weather. There's actually something happening beneath the surface, maybe some level of erosion. Maybe there's a pipe that's leaking. Maybe something to do with water or sewage. But if we don't deal with the thing beneath the thing, this pothole can quickly become a sinkhole. And this happened in the city of Chicago. A 70-year-old man was driving, and all of a sudden, the entire road gave way, and he had the ride of his life. He ended up being okay, but millions and millions of dollars of damage was done. Why do I say this? Because to be human means that you are going to bump up against other humans. And being human, bumping up against other humans... People are going to abandon you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to say things and do things. And you, my friends, if you are like me, you have all of these potholes in your story. And every single day, somebody just gets close to one of those potholes. And being a pastor for 20-plus years... I've never met a person who has come into my office and said, Today's the day. Today's the day for what? Today's the day that I self sabotage all my integrity. Today's the day that I actually blow up my family. Today's the day that I allow collateral damage to happen. No. But somehow, it continues to happen in every sphere of life where all of a sudden these potholes when not actually dealt with, become sinkholes that don't just affect us, but they affect everyone around us. And this is what is happening in the story with Esther. You have this moment where where Haman, the right-hand man, he is so frustrated, so angry that he wants a genocide to take place. But The question is, what made him so angry? Now, there's a new character that we're going to introduce. His name is Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jewish man. And when Haman came to power, it was decreed that every time he entered a room, people had to kneel and bow down. But Mordecai, for some apparent reason, in verse 2, it says, he would not kneel down or pay him honor. Verse 3, then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Why do you keep doing this? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. And then verse 5, get this. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So what makes Haman so mad? Because Mordecai won't Tebow in his honor? Because Mordecai won't kneel down and give him some sign of respect? It actually does something within him that he sees it and he goes, because you won't do that, I'm not just going to take it out on you. I'm going to take it out on all of your people. My friends, hear me. I don't think any of you would ever pull off a genocide, be able to bankroll one, or make that happen, I don't believe that, to ever come out of Cross Point Church. But, I do think every single day, we are making choices and decisions that don't just affect us, but are hurting those people around us, and we're not bearing the best witness to what Christ is wanting to do in us, and with us, and for us, and through us. So why do we do what we do? I think it requires us to get to what I call the thing beneath the thing. And the thing beneath the thing, thing is an acronym, and and the T is simply this. If you want to know why you do what you do, it starts with triggers. That's the setup that sets us off. And every single day someone cuts us off, it triggers us. Someone actually doesn't follow through, it triggers us. We have an expectation for how our day is going to go, and then something else happens, and it triggers us. Every single day, being human means you will be triggered, but oftentimes for many of us, when we get triggered, we see it as permission to escape, and as a pastor, I've watched people come into my office again and again and again, and they shared with me the places that they go. The first place that many of us go when we get triggered is the hideouts, and that It's just the metaphorical places we go to escape the pain of our story. I don't know where you go. Maybe to Netflix. Maybe to Nordstrom. Maybe to eat food. I I don't know where you go to escape, but let's just be really, really honest. Every one of us in this space goes somewhere. And when we go to a hideout, what we're looking for is something from this thing, this object, whether food, whether addiction, whether a relationship, to actually tell us, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I love how John Ortberg says it. Drinking a glass of bourbon will give you a fleeting sense of peace. It just will never make you a person of peace. You can buy a pair of sneakers, and in that moment, it will give you a fleeting sense of peace. But it's not going to make you a person of peace it's not going to make you a person who's whole and holy and set apart and if we're actually going to become aware of how we have to undragon then we've got to actually be honest and human with where we go to hide out where do you go to self soothe to escape For some of us, it's not a hideout. For some of us, it's an insecurity. We get triggered, and then all of a sudden, these false stories we start to create about ourselves—you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough—all of a sudden, it's like a shame storm starts raining down on us. And what do we do? We just often power down. Or for some of us, we put on a mask, and and in the moments of our insecurity, we're like, I just got to people, please. I got to make everybody happy. Or for some of us, in the moments of being triggered in our insecurity, we put on this performer mask, and we're like, I am going to actually own this moment, and my whole identity is, is solely centered on my performance. For some of us, it's about being perfect, like, I just got to be perfect, just got to be perfect, got to be perfect, got to be perfect, all insecurity. For some of us, it's about pretending. We just start pretending that we're in the inn or that we know or that we're good at this or that we've done this. All it is is insecurity. And some of us, we just power down. It's like we freeze in that moment. And some childhood wound, some sense of pain, some lie that has been spoken over us is just racing in our brain and we just power down. Or some of you, maybe you grew up in a house where you watched a parent not power down, but they powered up. They were losing control of the family, or losing control of the meeting, or losing control of the moment. And what do they do? They slammed their hand on the table, and they started to say things, emotionally abusive things, to you. All that is powering down and powering up, all it is is insecurity, because someone got triggered. They didn't know how to be honest and human and talk about what was happening inside them. Or maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, it's not stories you tell about yourselves, it's the narratives. It's the false stories you create about others. And I get it. We can do this from time to time, especially when it's the University of Alabama. You can do this, but you have these moments, right, when you can start to create a narrative and you cease to see the Imago Dei, the image of God in another person, and all of a sudden you just see what separates you from them. And this is what's happening. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are being pumped into our media to try and get us more divided than ever before. And to be honest, it's working. this is a time where many of us maybe have said something online that we wish we hadn't said. Said something behind closed doors we wish we didn't say shaped and formed a person in our life or our past in a certain way, and we showed it to other people, and they started to believe this about that person. And oftentimes, it's just because we got triggered. Someone got close to our pothole, and we didn't have the courage, and we didn't have the strength. We didn't know how to actually deal with that, and so that pothole became a sinkhole, and we created narratives, or we found ourselves being driven by insecurity or running to a hideout. Did you know there's another way? When I want to think about the, the way in which we can be so honest and real, so we can actually invite grace into our story. And grace is, is the spiritual process of becoming whole and holy and spiritually healthy. I, I often growing up, thought grace was just what I said yes to so that I could go into heaven. But when you begin to study the understanding of grace, you begin to recognize this idea of the Wesleyan tradition that said, sanctifying grace. It was the grace that you would receive, that you would want to get into every atom and molecule, every pothole. It was God's Spirit at work, helping you become who you were always intended to be—whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And this is that invitation. The truth is none of us can undragon ourselves, but every time we run to a hideout, that's what we're doing. We're just trying to pick the scales off, hoping that we can be okay. We can't undragon ourselves by believing a lie, but we try, we try, we try. We can't undragon ourselves by telling false stories about others, but we try, we try. The only way that you can experience being undragoned It's when you allow grace in. And I know some of you might be sitting here going, Steve, this, this feels a lot like works. But Dallas Willard, one of the greatest spiritual thinkers of our era, said this, grace is opposed to earning, but it's never opposed to effort. And there will be a moment where we have to sit with the potholes, the pain, the wounds in our story, and invite grace into those places. Because if we don't invite grace into those potholes to actually heal them, they most likely will become sinkholes in our relationships. So here's what I want to do, and I know you don't know me. I promise you I'm not going to ask you to stand up or, or share what your pothole is but I think it would be pastoral malpractice just to teach this and then just say, all right, go off. We've been walking through this entire series for five weeks, Here Be Dragons, and we've seen all the dragons that are around us, but I think it's time for us to open our lives to experience more of the grace for the dragons that are within and so I'm going to invite my friend Rob to come out. He's going to, he's going to be on a cello, and he's just going to play. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love in each of the campuses to kind of lead you in a spiritual practice. Because you will be triggered. And Some of you are like, I'm triggered right now by you, Steve. But, but some, you will be triggered leaving this place. You will be triggered. But oftentimes we've seen it as permission to escape. I remember years ago, I had this sermon series idea. I'm in this church and I'm pitching the idea and someone just shuts it down midway. And I worked really hard on it. And I was frustrated. I started sinning in my mind, telling false narratives about this person, feeling the sense of insecurity, wanting to self-soothe and just hide out with food. I'm driving home and I'm like, I'm gonna tell my wife about this. She'll have my back. So I go in, looking for a spousal support. I tell her, you know what she says to me? Isn't God so kind? Like, what do you mean God's so kind? Like, I was a jerk. have my back. Why was God so kind? And then she says this. God's so kind because in your story, There's one person who has deeply, deeply wounded you. For so many years, you have gone through your life avoiding that pain. And God, in his kindness, keeps bringing people into your life, offering you an invitation to get well, to be whole, to holy, to be healthy. And the real question, Steve, is this, will today be the day that you have the courage to allow grace there? And you know what I said to her? I don't like you right now. I didn't say that. But it wrecked me. And I realized I had just been avoiding it. So kind I of want to ask you a few questions. Because I want you not to see being triggered as permission to escape. I want you to see getting triggered as permission to be curious of where you might need to offer grace in to help you undrag it. So let's start with this. What triggers you? Let's take a moment. What's triggered you in the last week? What's frustrated you? Maybe think of it like this. Was there a place where you reacted? As my counselor, Jim Crest says, whenever you react, you're just reenacting the past. Or whenever you get hysterical, it's most often historical. Maybe just spend a moment and think, was there a moment that I lost myself? Take a few seconds and just think about that. you sit here, maybe for some of you, if you're like me, you sometimes need your posture to help you access what's happening in your heart. Maybe you want to open up your hands, almost as a sign, I need grace, I need grace. Maybe for some of you, it's what I often do is just put both hands over my heart. And the truth is none of us in this space have it figured out. I love what Ruth Bell Graham's tombstone says. It says her name, it says the date she was born, the date she passed, and underneath it, it says, end of construction, thanks for your patience. And we're all in the process of being constructed more and more into a spiritual house. So when you think about what triggered you, get curious. Why do you think it triggered you? Is something from your childhood? Is it some sense of feeling or neglect, abandonment? Is it some sense of just moment that you can almost see where this happened to you, or this person said this, or this person walked out, and all of a sudden, now these moments are coming at you and they're all an invitation for grace. Think about where you most often go when you get triggered, where do you go to hide out? What lie do you tell yourself? What false narrative do you tell about someone? And what if you could just hold that, and you, again, can't undrag in yourself. We saw that in the video, Eustace couldn't do it, he needed help. And it's in these moments where we go, Lord, please. And it's in these moments that we say, what would it look like for grace upon grace upon grace to fill that wound? And sometimes just beginning to talk about this, you're going to need to come down for prayer after. You're going to have to process this with more with someone else. But when you can stop and say, I am deciding to not run to that counterfeit God, that idol, that hideout. I'm no longer going to power down or power up. I'm not going to tell a false story. When I get triggered, I'm going to see it as an invitation to receive. So in this moment, with that story or that moment or that memory, in your own way, just take 15, 20 seconds and just ask God to fill that wound with his grace and with his peace. To give us some further words, may I read a benediction over you? My brothers and sisters of Crosspoint, we are all mysterious and wild, a collection of sound and stories inscribed over the years. We are all made up of hopes and fears and desires. We are all products of the messages of love and shame we've received. We are all full of energy, excitement, and oh-so-many-feels. It's who I am. It's who you are, sacred and holy, the weight of feeling not enough and way too much, often in the very same breath. Every room you walk into, you bring this, your whole self all of you, yet most of the time you and I are unable to locate and identify what is churning within, like shadows that follow us. Our outward attitudes and actions reflect the steps our internal world set. We have become functional yet disconnected, efficient yet unaware. Our bodies carry both truths and lies. Every narrative we have ever been subjected to, fiction as well as non-fiction, the body knows it holds, it controls all of us until we honor its whole truth. So, cross point, may we honor the whole truth. And not let our potholes become sinkholes, but rather may, through these potholes, God showcase His power to make us truly whole. May we realize deep within we can never undragon ourselves, but a good, good Father who sent His one and only Son, gave us the gift of grace. And may we receive that grace every moment of every day because it will make us whole and holy and spiritually healthy. Grace and peace. And here's Pastor Ka. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for a powerful message Uh, but showing us what the grace of Jesus really looks like whole looks like and what holy looks like and so thank you across our campuses online can we just say thank you one more time to pastor steve I just wanna encourage you too that our prayer teams are gonna be down front. Maybe this hope and healing is just a start for you, but you'd like to talk to someone. We have teams available online and at all of our campuses this morning. Then invite you back next week. We start a brand new series called Find and Follow. Pastor Kevin will be back with us. Invite a friend, bring him with you.
0: We love you guys. Hope you have an amazing holiday weekend. We'll see you back here next Sunday.